Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everybody, and thank you for choosing King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, December 16th, 2014. This is King Jordan coming at you. Tonight on the show, we will go over the NXT takeover. We'll recap the TLC pay-per-view. We'll talk a little bit about CM Punk signing with the UFC. We'll look at Raw and uh, much, much more. But before we go anywhere, I want to remind you that this Thursday we're going to have on from CNN, um, NHLN, a legal defense attorney, and a body language expert to go over all the stories of uh, 2014, including Robin Williams, Joan Rivers, Bill Cosby, Oscar Pistorius, you name it, it, all the stories uh, will be there, and uh, we will take a look at that. Okay, now let me introduce to you, ladies and gentlemen, he is uh, my tag team partner. He is our wrestling insider, and he makes it to the show every week, ladies and gentlemen, Tago. The one, the only, Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King. Great to be on this week. I uh, hope everything is well. Uh, what a week. As you mentioned, so many shows from NXT to TLC and big news about uh, Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. We know that Jim Ross will be the play-by-play man for their big Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view in January, and they just announced who his partner will be on color commentary, and it will be none other than Matt Stryker. Matt Stryker, who actually used to do color commentary in the WWE, will now be partnered up with Jim Ross, for the Global Force Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view, January 4th. Wow, wow. So that should be interesting. And uh, speaking of announcers, uh, Josh Matthews will be a part of the TNA, it looks like, taking yeah, the place right. of TNA. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's big news for TNA as they go on to Destination America, as they move away from Spike TV. And uh, Dixie Carter just announced as well that as well as having, of course, Impact Wrestling, they're going to be introducing a new show called Impact Wrestling Unlocked, and it will be on every Saturday starting January 17th. Now, what this show is, will it be a behind-the-scenes? Will it feature just more interviews and a fallout of what happened uh, during the previous Impact? I'm not exactly quite sure what this Unlocked show will all be about, but uh, it's another show that uh, TNA has on Destination America. They really want it to be uh, be partnered up with them and have a great working relationship. They wanted to really take advantage of uh, their partnership, and Destination America really just wants to make TNA their number one show. And uh, it's uh, big news. Like I said, they just got a second show that will appear on Saturdays called Impact Wrestling Unlocked. Maybe that's why uh, they'll have Mike today on one show, maybe, and they'll have... Uh... 
Josh do the do the main shows. Yeah, that, that's very possible because I know they want to keep Mike Tanay because before Matt Stryker was signed on to to be with Jim Ross for Jeff Jarrett's promotion, Jeff Jarrett was actually going after Mike Tanay. He wanted Mike Tanay and Jim Ross to do the announcing for the show, but TNA wouldn't budge, and they wouldn't let uh, Jarrett have Mike Tanay. So even though Josh Matthews will be replacing Tanay on Impact Wrestling on Wednesday night, uh, they still want to keep him a part of the TNA family. I mean, he's been there since day one. So possibly maybe Mike Tanay will, will be involved in this uh, Unlocked show that will be every Saturday on Destination America. Let's see what Solomon Monster had to say about John Monster, uh, Josh Matthews replacing the Professor Iron Mike today. No impact this week, but that doesn't mean we don't have any TNA news to talk about. TNA has announced that tickets will go on sale this Friday, December 5th, for three consecutive TV tapings, January 7th, 8th, and 9th. They are returning to the Manhattan Center in New York City for the first Destination America tapings. Uh, we're still not sure if Impact is going to still be airing on Wednesdays on Destination America. I, I would have to think it will be, but there's still been no confirmation of that. I assume that if if they are sticking to Wednesdays, maybe that first Impact taping that uh, that Wednesday, the seventh, might air live. Uh, actually, it'd probably be on like an hour or two tape delay, uh, but we'll find out. But they are returning to New York City. They are returning to the Manhattan Center. And you can get tickets starting on Friday on Ticketmaster.com. I am planning on attending. I'm hoping to. uh, So that is the plan. The other big news that has been floated, and I think this rumor, uh, actually it was a report originally, I think, in the Wrestling Observer that's been picked up elsewhere, is that when Impact returns to TV on Destination America next month, or in, uh, in January, I should say, that Josh Matthews will be the new play-by-play guy for Impact. He'll be the new voice of Impact with Taz, and Mike Tanay is out as the lead announcer. He is reportedly not leaving TNA. He may still have an on-air role with TNA in some way. I don't know if that means backstage interviewer. Uh, There's been a lot of talk that with the new TV deal, they're going to have more than just one television show, so maybe he would host uh, a second program. I don't know. Uh, But it sounds like he's not going anywhere. If that's the case, it would seem to take his name out of the running for Jim Ross's broadcast partner for the January 4th Tokyo Dome New Japan show that's going to be airing on pay-per-view. Supposedly, he was a recommendation from JR. He was the first choice, but if he's under TNA contract, they can't use him. Uh, So that would seem, anyway, to take his name out of the running. But I like the move, and I don't like the move because... You know, Josh Matthews is such a great play-by-play wrestling announcer. I've heard him do play-by-play before. Uh, He was doing some of the secondary shows for WWE. He even filled in on Raw on occasion when they would do an angle. If, you know, Jerry Lawler got beat up or something, they would trot out Josh Matthews. There's the famous episode of Raw. Uh, I want to say it was one of the draft shows, and uh, he was one one of the multiple commentary teams that were out there, maybe the ECW one. And unfortunately, he suffered a nosebleed on the air. I think a lot of people remember that. He He's good. I think Matthews is good. He's got uh, the youth that they seem to like. I think in wrestling, it's always about youth more than anything else. To me, Mike Tanay was just completely played out. He had been the, the play-by-play guy for TNA, the face of TNA since day one. You know, a lot of guys have come and gone. Don West came and went. 
they had uh, Todd Kennelly, that play-by-play guy they brought in a few years ago, and Hogan and Bischoff were running things, and I actually thought Todd Kennelly was pretty good. I liked him. Uh, I don't know why they got rid of him other than just budget cuts. Uh, but they needed to replace Mike Tanay. And it's not a knock on Tanay like he's a bad commentator. There's just there's nothing special. There's nothing exciting. He's been there forever. I thought Tanay, personally, I think Tanay was at his best when he was the third wheel on Nitro and they would bring him in because Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone didn't know the names of any of the Lucha moves. And he he knew all the names of the moves and he would give great background on these guys that came up from Mexico. That was when he was the best at what he did and in TNA he's just been there for so long and I think part of it is the stain of TNA you know he's part of uh, an era in TNA that just there's nothing there's no buzz there's nothing exciting about it so you had to get some new blood in there and so Matthews is the guy they went with and I, I like the move I think it's a positive move and it's quite frankly I think it's overdue I think they should have made this move either with Matthews or somebody else a long time ago and again, that's not a personal slide on Mike Tanay, but for God's sakes, get some new blood in there. All right, before we go to you, JJ, and your commentary, let me see. Uh, we have either Blackjack or Dominic. Let's go over to line four. Uh, line four, who do we got? Blackjack, Dominic. Hey, brother JJ, how's it going? Oh, Blackjack, what's going on? Can you talk closer to the phone? I can't hear you, little blackjack. Can you... How about now? There you go. That's better. There you go. Hi, blackjacks. Welcome. I'm bored. How are you? Everything's good. Okay, let's get into that, uh, JJ. Um, your thoughts on what you just heard about Josh Matthews. Uh, agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, uh, I do agree. I mean, I like Mike Tanay. I mean, there's a reason why he's called the professor. I mean, uh, as, he, as uh, Solomon pointed out, obviously he gives this great uh, extensive background on these wrestlers and where they come from. He actually knows, you know, the wrestling moves by name. He doesn't just say, oh, what a move, what a maneuver. You know, he, he'll call out the moves. He knows them. That's one of the things that I enjoy is that's how I learn what the moves are when they actually call them by their proper name. But uh, this is another scenario where, unfortunately, well, again, I love Mike Tanay. He's been the voice of uh, TNA since day one, as, again, Solomon pointed out. And, you know, I can't imagine TNA not having Mike Tanay, especially when they first started. I mean, him and Don West were just a, a great team. They were great for that time when, you know, you just wanted something different in wrestling and it was really great. Now, of course, we have pads on. They're, they're mixing it up. Now they want to bring Josh in, which, again, which is great for the new network, Destination America. They want to freshen things up. And, of course, they even have a new logo for Impact. Now they even have a sort of a six-sided ring plus the name Impact Wrestling. So they're really bringing lots of new things to this uh, Destination America debut. And part of that is, of course, the announcing and bringing Josh Matthews aboard Again, uh, like Solomon pointed out, it could be a, a definite youth factor. You know, they always want to play to the younger fans and get them on board. They don't necessarily want to see a man in his, you know, 50s or 60s calling the matches. They Maybe they don't like that or they feel kind of weird by that. I mean, I personally, again, I'm a huge fan of Mike Tanay, but uh, now that they did announce that they have this 
other show called Unlocked that will be on Saturdays. Maybe that will be Mike Tanay recapping the events of the week or on Impact or talking about, you know, uh, you know what went on or maybe doing interviews with certain stars. That could be a really great show, and I would definitely tune in to see that if they use Mike Tanay on that show. But, again, Impact, I'm really looking forward to the debut. It's a new network. Uh, Josh Matthews, I think, will do a, a great job with Taz, uh, you know, I mean, Jesus, if you look all the way back to it, the days of Tough Enough and, uh, you know, Al Snow and Taz were a part of the Tough Enough uh, trainers. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, Josh Matthews back with Taz and seeing them, uh, their camaraderie on the announce team and their chemistry. So I think they'll do really well together, and I think it should be uh, really great for TNA. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Also, there's a possibility of even Justin Roberts may be a part of that. Oh, wow. Well, that would be interesting because, of course, he's not with the WWE no more. Would he replace Jeremy Borash? Well, no, I think, uh, if anything, it'd probably be uh, in in working um, uh, agreement. Just someone else added new to the uh, roster. Justin Roberts has never been there before. He has expertise in all those voice outlets, so mm-hmm. it'd be good for uh, uh, for a change of scenery as well. He would be great there. Yeah, I but agree. Just, I would just, like Justin Barr, he ain't going nowhere. Mm. Okay, uh, JJ, what was your thoughts and uh, maybe uh, some commentary on WWTLC uh, over the weekend? Well, you know, TLC, uh, they were billing it as this demolition derby, of course, because it is tables, ladders, chairs, and in this uh, scenario, this pay-per-view also featured a stairs match. So it was really guys really putting their bodies on the line, getting hurt. I know a lot of fans have mixed feelings about the TLC pay-per-view. All I heard pretty much all weekend was that the NXT TakeOver show was head and shoulders better than what happened on TLC. And it's kind of a lot of people were saying that it was kind of bad because obviously these NXT guys are supposed to be the quote-unquote rookies. These are supposed to be your developmental guys. And for them to sort of upstage the main roster, to upstage the superstars, it got a lot of people kind of scratching their heads. But, like I said, to them the defense of the main roster guys in the WWE it was a TLC pay-per-view with gimmicks galore, and there's only so much you can do within a gimmick. And I think for the most part, you know, it was a, a decent pay-per-view. Was it the best pay-per-view of the year? No, I don't think so. I don't think it was the best pay-per-view. But they kicked off the pay-per-view. Uh, the pre-show was Goldust and Stardust taking on The New Day, which uh, The New Day, of course, features Kofi Kingston, Big E Langston, and Xavier Woods. Uh, in this tag team match, it was Kofi and Big E defeating Goldust and Stardust on the pre-show, and they kind of have this rivalry going where Goldust and and uh, Stardust, they don't like the New Day. They don't like their sort of positivity. These are three guys that are presented being very happy, go-lucky, all about good vibes, and just uh, really just smiling and dancing and having fun. And Goldust and Stardust are here to sort of crap on terror. So we, we're seeing more of this even on Raw, and we're seeing more, I'm sure, on SmackDown, which 
by the way, SmackDown is airing live right now on the USA Network. Uh, the WWE is having a sort of a holiday Christmas week in which they, of course, had Monday Night Raw, of course, on Monday on the USA Network. Main event was actually on an hour earlier today, so it actually already aired. And they have a live SmackDown right now on the USA Network. And tomorrow, on Wednesday, the WWE will be airing the Tribute to the Troops show. So that's all going on this week on the USA Network. But back to the pay-per-view. The start of the pay-per-view officially kicked off with the Intercontinental Championship, Dolph Ziggler taking on Luke Harper in was what was a phenomenal ladder match. What a way to kick off the show. These guys damn near killed themselves. There was one point in the match where Luke Harper did a suicide dive when Dolph had uh, the, a ladder outside the ring, and Luke Harper, like I said, did a suicide dive. You know, he went right in between the ropes, and he kind of caught the ladder, and I swear I thought his arm got stuck in the ladder, and as he came just falling down with his full speed and momentum, I thought he broke his arm. And his arm was even cut up pretty bad just on the impact of the ladder that was between him and basically the floor. I mean, it was just a brutal maneuver. I mean, like I said, these guys really set the tone for the show, and I thought, well, wow, if this is the way the show's going to start, it's going to be a great pay-per-view. But, I mean, uh, again, the match itself, Ziggler, Harper, a great ladder match. Uh, I think fans probably, it could have been the match of the night. It was just really good. If you could only see one match at the TLC pay-per-view, watch Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper for the Intercontinental Championship. And I have to bring up the IC title just mm. because over the last few years, I mean, how many memorable IC title matches have we seen? But this was one that really deserved um, to be a highlight of the night. I mean, it was a really great IC title match that will, I don't know if it will go in the ranks of, you know, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon at WrestleMania, but I think for this generation, it was as good as it gets, and these guys really put an importance on the Intercontinental title, and Dolph Ziggler picked up the win, regaining the Intercontinental title, and it was just a, a hellacious of a match, really great match between these two guys. Of course, Where is SmackDown tonight? SmackDown, I don't know where it is, but I know it's live and it's airing right now. If you were to watch it on the USA Network, you would see Bray yeah, Wyatt. Yeah, I'm watching it right Apple. now. Last night they were here in Detroit. Okay, and, that's uh, right. Probably in the same area. But, uh, you know what? They should always have SmackDown on Tuesdays, but that's another story. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I like the idea, especially that it's live. I mean, it, it's great. you got Raw and SmackDown back-to-back, back, and uh, I think when it's live, it's always a little more exciting, especially when you know the results on the tapes. I mean, you can decide whether or not you want to tune in or not, or, oh, this is going to be a bad show. When it's live, you got to watch it, or else you don't have another chance to see it. But like you said, that's another time for another uh, event. But uh, back to TLC, a tag team title match with the Usos and Miz and Miz Dow. Uh, I really thought Miz and Miz Dow were going to win. I happen to like their gimmick. I know some people don't. They think it's childish and stupid. But for the most part, I think the WWE is doing a pretty good job, and the fans are behind it. So that's one thing 
that I think Miz and Mizdow have going for them, unlike other characters and other stories in the WWE where the fans are just bored or disgusted. They're actually behind Damian Sandow. They're cheering for him every week. Every time they're on television, they're chanting, we want Mizdow. They're really into Damian Mizdow or Damian Sandow for the first time in years. And uh, Miz is really, I think Miz is actually at his best right now because he's really playing up that card that everything that he does, if you really watch the Miz and his mannerisms, he's really exaggerating them so that Damien can see what he's doing and copy it. So Miz is actually really working, I think, even harder now because he knows he has to make sure Damien is copying his movements. They have to be big movements. He can't do anything subtle because Damien could miss it. He's only human. But Miz is really, I think, enjoying this sort of part where he's this big Hollywood big shot and he's, you know, has this little stunt double like, you know, Damien Sandow who has to, you know, mimic everything that he does. So I think these guys are really gelling well together. And the Usos, always a tremendous tag team. These guys always put on great matches. This was a bit of a short match because there's a, a storyline going on between The Miz and Jimmy Uso's wife. Naomi, in which The Miz is trying to tempt her into Hollywood. He's trying to give her all these promises of music videos and, you know, TV opportunities and movie opportunities because The Miz is such a big shot himself in Hollywood and all the movies and direct-to-DVDs movies that he's done. But, uh, again, Jimmy Uso, of course, being the husband, doesn't like The Miz, you know, talking to Naomi, so he's been very fired up and angry. And uh, he got disqualified uh, in this match. So the, the Usos won by disqualification, but unfortunately, as we all know, that doesn't mean they win the title. So the Miz and Mizdow retained the tag team titles, even though uh, it was by disqualification. And, of course, now the next matchup was a stairs match, which I don't remember the last time there was ever a stairs match in the WWE. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, this was at least the first time there was a stairs match at the TLC pay-per-view, and it featured the Big Show taking on Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan, who is seemingly a fan favorite. The fans are, again, behind him. They like that uh, it's very opposite to Luke Harper, who's still a heel, who's still playing the sort of the crazy character. Uh, Eric Rowan is going in the opposite direction, a fan favorite, He's actually showing off that he's a smart. They show him with the Rubik's Cube. Tonight on main event, they showed him playing chess. So they're really trying to play up that he has these different dimensions. There's a lot more to him than just being the guy who wears the sheet mask. But the, the stairs mask, again, these are two big, huge individuals. You're talking about two guys you know, who are... You're right. You're, you're right. I mean, they're, they're, they're two, two, two big men. Yeah. Carrying around the the stairs and plopping it up on 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 the steps and on in the rain, it makes yeah. it look awkward. They were walking slow with it, and after they used the move, they got tired, and yeah. the fans were just sitting on their hands. I couldn't wait till that match was over. I felt sorry for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like you said, like you you nailed it, Blackjack. These guys, seven feet tall, nearly three hundred pounds, very sluggish. They're carrying these stairs which they made a point to say what the bottom stair weighs about 200 pounds, the top stair weighs about 100 pounds. So they're lugging these stairs around, smashing each other. They're setting them up uh, during the ramp. There was this, they, they got, let's see, 
two stairs, two bottom parts of the stairs, which is the biggest part of the stair, which, again, as I pointed out, they mentioned was 200 pounds. So I don't know if it was Big Show or Rowan. They set up two of these stairs standing vertically, and then they put up a third stair on top of it, basically building like a pyramid of stairs, and they're just throwing each other around. And as Blackjack said, you know, they, they've got, you know, worked up. I mean, they blew up, basically, in the ring, you know. They yeah. were very sluggish. They were tired. And the fans, they sense that. You know, the fans want, you know, something exciting that's fast-paced. And unfortunately, they're not, they didn't get that with Big Show and Rowan. I think, I mean, this was all, the only stairs match that I've ever seen, at least, where they made a point that, oh, this is a stairs match. So you I, think, I think they did the best they could with what they were given, but I don't think this was the match that we wanted to see with these two. Maybe if it involved, uh, you know, Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt or Seth Rollins, you know, some younger superstars who are quick and you can really – really take advantage of uh, that. But, I mean, Big Show and Eric Rowan, no fault of their own. I just think it was just the wrong match for that night for those two, and it just it didn't pay off, unfortunately. But Big Show did get the win, and he knocked out Eric Rowan. And I believe the fans were even chanting, I think we want Mizdala. They were chanting boring. Unfortunately, they just weren't into the match in its slow pace. So that's definitely where the match definitely took a turn for the worst on the pay-per-view. Uh, and then next up we saw, which surprised the hell out of me, next up, Seth Rollins versus John Cena, the tables match. Why am I so shocked and surprised? Because I thought John Cena was going to main event this pay-per-view. I was shocked they put him on in the middle of the show uh, against Seth Rollins, obviously John Cena's uh, number one contendership was on the line. He had to win this match. If he lost to Seth Rollins, he would lose his opportunity against Brock. But uh, I think we all knew who was going to win this match. So, unfortunately, even though they added that stipulation where if Rollins won, Cena would lose the number one contendership, I think we all know that they were that WWE was heavily getting ready for Brock Cena four or five by now. But uh, I do, I did like this match. I think this was a match that possibly could have been the main event. Uh, I think they did their best. Uh, you know, one of the things I don't necessarily like about a tables match in the WWE is, you know, in ECW, Jesus, how many tables did guys go through in just one single match? I mean, with Rollins and Cena, you knew the first person to go through the table and it would be match over. But one thing I give credit to Cena and Rollins and to this match was they had multiple table spots. And sometimes the fans, they don't, they don't like it when two guys, uh, let's say, get eliminated in the Royal Rumble. And you have that, well, who won? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? If there's a double pinfall, who won? Whose shoulders were on the ground? And, of course, they played up that in this match where both Rollins and Cena both fell through the table at the same time. So, of course, two referees came out, and one said Rollins was the winner, one said Cena was the, the winner, and then they had to restart the match. So, basically, we had more table spots to come, and for the most part, I enjoyed that. And then uh, here comes the Big Show. Now, it's a tables match, so basically, there's no disqualifications. So, Big Show coming in and knocking out Cena is perfectly legal. So when Big Show came to take on Cena, because right now Rollins and Big Show and Harper, they're all this sort of this new sort of faction. They don't, even though the authority 
isn't in power anymore. Rollins and Big Show and Harper are still sort of working together, at least to have a common enemy in John Cena. But in this case, when Big Show came out to attack Cena, we thought, oh, well, it's over. They're going to put Cena through the table. And sure enough, to uh, the delight of the WWE Universe, Roman Reigns came out. Roman Reigns made an appearance. He returned to the ring. He came in, did a Superman punch to Big Show, and then eventually he would spear Big Show, I believe, through a table, and then did another Superman punch to Seth Rollins, in which that kind of made Rollins a little hazy, and he just walked in right into an attitude adjustment by John Cena, and John Cena, of course, planted him through the table with the attitude adjustment. Of course, Cena winning the match and now definitely being guaranteed to keep his spot at the Royal Rumble, being the number one contender to Brock Lesnar's world title. So that match is definitely happening. In fact, as soon as the match was over, they basically aired a video package confirming that it will be Cena-Lesnar for the last time. Now, I don't know if they're going to change that because they made a point of saying Cena-Lesnar for the last time. Now, I think we all know that possibly after WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar's contract with the WWE is out. I don't know if he's going to re-sign with them. There's some rumors going that he may want to go back to the UFC. So we'll see what happens. This could be the last time we see Brock Lesnar uh, in the WWE after WrestleMania. I don't know if he's going to win at WrestleMania. I don't know if Cena's going to uh, win at uh, the Royal Rumble. So uh, this is a very uh, exciting time because we're not really sure what's going to happen. I think we all have ideas. We're all speculating what could happen. But uh, this could be the last time we see Brock Lesnar and John Cena, which I think we're all very uh, glad about because that's basically all we've seen is Brock Lesnar, John Cena for the last few months. I mean, they haven't really fed anyone else to Lesnar. So hopefully this is the last time we see them in the ring at the Rumble. But, of course, next up going on TLC, a Divas Championship match. AJ Lee taking on Nikki Bella for the Divas title. And this was, you know, it's it's so funny because, again, a lot of people comparing the Divas on the WWE roster to the Divas on NXT. And why is it on NXT I see these great women's matches and yet I watch the WWE and I see these sort of mediocre matches. There's something that I don't know what's missing. There's I, I can't put my finger on it. Uh, you know, AJ, I think, is very talented. Nikki, she's improved a lot over the years. But uh, these these girls, I don't know if it was a chemistry thing, but, again, the match, just the fans weren't that into it again. And uh, especially after the John Cena-Seth Rollins match, I mean, it's, it's hard to follow that. Like I said, that, I'm surprised that wasn't the main event and especially Roman Reigns making his big return, I think the fans just kind of blew everything they had left. They were exhausted. So, of course, when the Divas wrestled, the fans didn't really care. They had nothing left. They were kind of bored. They were exhausted. But, uh, you know, Nikki Bella retained the Divas title. She used a, a hairspray, and she sprayed it in the eyes of A.J. Lee, so she used a little uh, dirty trick to keep the title. But uh, Nikki Bella, still your Divas champion. And, hey, both uh, sisters are, are pretty tight again now, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, Nikki and Brie, of course, they had that big uh, feud 
going after SummerSlam where Nikki turned on Brie and she joined Stephanie in the authority. But then uh, we had that match where Brie became Nikki's sort of secretary or assistant. And she was just, you know, Nikki was bossing her around. And yet, when Nikki got her first opportunity at AJ for the Divas title, we saw that blood is definitely thicker than water. And eventually Brie would team back up with Nikki and they would join forces and they would screw AJ out of the Divas title when they sort of recreated that infamous WrestleMania moment with AJ and Daniel Bryan in which AJ cost Bryan basically the world heavyweight title in under 18 seconds when she kissed him and then Sheamus bro kicked his head off. And they recreated that with Brie kissing AJ, which gave Nikki the opportunity to take the title from AJ. So uh, it's been a very weird kind of uh, run between these two. I mean, I would have thought we would have saw Nikki versus Brie at WrestleMania, but I think that's scrapped. I think right now we're seeing the twins back together again better than ever. So uh, that's out the window. Of course, in WWE, everything changes. Nothing really, you know, no consistency. I can tell you, between the twins, you you could definitely tell them apart. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, well, they're identical twins. Yeah, no, there's not. no way. One guy has good <laughs> chest enhancement and, and, and bodybuilding uh, of the legs are more stronger, more definitions. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Black So what do you give the pay-per-view, JJ? Well, that, that mat, the pay-per-view is not over yet. There was a chairs match between Kane and Ryback, which, again, very similar to Big Show and Eric Rowan. You have these two big guys. you got Kane, who's nearly seven feet tall, 300 pounds. Ryback, who's just big, giant bodybuilder. And they're swinging chairs. They're blowing up in the ring. So, again, the fans, the fans, although, are more into Ryback. They're doing the feed me more. They're really into cheering and chanting. So they were behind Ryback a little. But, again, this match, you know, there's only so much you can do with the stipulation of the chair. They, again, they used it to the best of their ability. But Ryback would get the win doing the shell shock to Kane. Uh, next up, I'm surprised they even had enough time for this match. This match was just a complete waste of time. Rusev versus Jack Swagger uh, for the United States title. We know that Rusev took out Zeb Coulter. Jack Swagger wanted vengeance. And what happened? Rusev just basically put him in the uh, accolade and got the tap-out victory very quickly. I mean, this match, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I think we all thought maybe Jack Swagger would take the win. He had a lot of momentum going into this. He was upset and angry about Rusev attacking Coulter, and yet Swagger got another loss to Rusev. Of course, now this was the actual main event. The actual main event, Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt in the TLC matchup. Tables, ladders, chairs, all legal. Uh, These guys, I think, had probably their best outing yet. They really took advantage of the tables. They took advantage of uh, the chairs, the ladders. They, you know, tried to make it as goofy and crazy as you can imagine, you know, Dean Ambrose is known as the lunatic. Bray Wyatt's very eccentric, and they really tried to just go all out. There was one point where, if you know the TLC pay-per-view, they have the entrance ramp, the stage, which has a bunch of ladders and tables and chairs set up. Dean Ambrose dragged Bray Wyatt to the entrance ramp, 
and he put them on one table, climbed up uh, maybe a 20-foot or 15-foot ladder, and he dove off the ladder doing an elbow drop to Bray Wyatt through the table. He would pick Bray Wyatt back up, take him to the next table, climb up a ladder that was even taller, that might have been 20 or 25 feet tall, and he would do another elbow drop off of that ladder. Dean Ambrose was just doing everything in his power to just destroy Bray Wyatt. Uh, the fans were going nuts. They were really loving all the crazy action that was going on in this match. Uh, like I said, there were so many spots. I, I'm probably forgetting a lot of good ones. But the match eventually came to an end where Dean Ambrose, again, it's a TLC match, anything goes. Uh, Dean Ambrose went under the ring and he grabbed a monitor, a TV monitor that was actually live and plugged in because you could actually see Dean's face, you know, and the the whole camera in in the TV. I mean, it was displaying, it was basically like a monitor. You could see exactly what the cameraman was shooting. And, of course, the wire was plugged into something. So Dean was trying to pull the wire, you know, out use the, the monitor and bash Bray Wyatt. And instead, when he pulled the monitor, the wire basically exploded in his face. And it was basically this small explosion. How many times have we heard uh, Michael Cole called The Rock the most electrifying man in sports entertainment? And here, Dean Ambrose basically got electrified by this monitor. It just blew up in his face which gave Bray Wyatt the perfect opportunity to hit Dean with Sister Abigail and get the pinfall and win, which basically means Dean Ambrose, ever since S.H.I.E.L.D. has been disbanded, Dean Ambrose hasn't won a single pay-per-view. He's lost to Seth Rollins basically every month. He lost to Bray Wyatt now. I mean, he's basically on a losing streak, but nobody cares. People just love this guy. He's such an oddball. His promos are off the wall. His matches, he'll do anything. Like I said, he dove off, I don't know how many ladders, crashing through tables just to get to Bray Wyatt at the TLC pay-per-view. And yet he's on this losing streak, but the fans still love this guy. They are eating him up. So that's one thing Dean has going for him, that these losses don't hurt him. And, of course, a win for Bray Wyatt, it helps Bray Wyatt. But uh, that pay-per-view... Not, again, uh, not my favorite pay-per-view of the year, although I do think, like I said, everybody on that show, for the most part, they put their bodies on the line. I'm sure they were sore as hell when it was all said and done, but it wasn't the best pay-per-view of the year, unfortunately, and I, if I had to give it a grade, I'd say it was, it was you know, average. You know, For me, the high spot of the night was Dolph Ziggler and Luke Harper. They really... They really pulled it out. They worked hard. They did their best to steal the show at the start of the show, and it made it very hard for guys to follow that. I think John Cena said Rollins. I thought they did an excellent job. I thought that could have been the main event. I was shocked it wasn't. Instead, they took a risk, and the WWE gave Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose the opportunity to main event this pay-per-view. I think these guys did their best to you know, one-up you know, Ziggler and Harper and Rollins and Cena. Dean took a lot of risks. As I mentioned, he jumped off several ladders, crashing through tables. He put his body on the line. So, you know, those three guys, or those three guys, those three matches, you know, my hats are off to them. Everything else on the card to me just felt like a filler. Uh, 
So I, I would give it an average. I would say, you know, maybe a C, C plus at, at best. It wasn't terrible, but, you know, I've seen better. Mm, there you go. Okay, uh, CMB UFC, is it a good move or a bad move? Let's take a listen to uh, Solomon Monster, and we'll talk on the other side. It was the announcement that CM Punk, Phil Brooks, has officially signed a multi-fight contract with UFC, and he will compete in UFC. He'll debut sometime in 2015, not sure when. Uh, it could be at least six months, maybe longer away. So he's not fighting anytime soon, but at some point, probably in the second half of next year, the plan is for CM Punk to step into the octagon for the very first time. They made the announcement uh, with Joe Rogan and Punk, who was there. He had AJ Lee with him. Uh, Punk says he is likely to fight at middleweight, maybe at welterweight, but definitely not light heavyweight. So he's looking at somewhere in that 155 to 185-pound range. I think uh, in, in the post-fight scrum after the show last night, he was doing media uh, interviews. And he, I think he, was, he said he was looking at 185, so that's kind of what he's uh, got in mind. He said he's 100% committed to this. Uh, this is his new career. He's either going to kick ass or get his ass kicked. Uh, he'll make an announcement soon about a training camp. Uh, look, I'm happy for the guy. He seemed legitimately happy. He was all smiles. He's all in on this. He's had uh, an interest in, in MMA for a long, long time. He's been training under the Gracies for a long time now, doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There's videos on YouTube of him rolling around, I think, with Henner. Uh, so this is not something that is new to him. But at the same time, the dude's 36 years old with a body that has been beaten to shit by years of pro wrestling. I'm not sure personally how smart it is for a guy who has admitted to having at least a dozen concussions in his lifetime to be stepping into the octagon. But it's his life. He can do with it what he wants, uh, and that's that's his prerogative. I can't hate on the guy for doing what he wants to do. He's got more balls than most, and I, I throw Kurt Angle in that category too. Now, maybe if Kurt Angle was a little younger and a little healthier and wasn't so beat up, maybe he would have made the jump to UFC. But Dana White has said, you know, he, he took Kurt seriously many, many years ago when Kurt said he wanted to come over and do some fighting after he left WWE, and I think they even had gotten to the medical phase. Now, according to Dana White, Angle couldn't pass a medical physical. Angle says something differently. Uh, so it's all a matter of who you believe. I probably would believe Dana White over Kurt Angle in that situation. But at the end of the day, Kurt blew so much smoke up people's asses for years about how he's going to come to UFC. He, he's serious about this. He wants to fight. And he never did. And I don't want to sit here and say Kurt Angle didn't have the balls because Kurt Angle's a lot tougher than I am. But at the same time, he was blowing smoke. He never had... You know, he never had the gumption to actually say, okay, I'm going to really do this. CM Punk did. And if he goes in there and he gets his ass kicked, which I think there's a very good chance that's going to happen, then it happens. But I give the guy a lot of credit for actually going through with this. Uh, I don't think this ends well for him. That's my view on this. But for Dana White and the UFC, it's a brilliant move. I, I, I mean, if I was Dana White, I would have done the exact same thing. There is no pro wrestler in the world right now that has as much buzz around him at CM Punk, and now it's gone up tenfold. You know, you got Bellator, if you're UFC, breathing down your neck right now. Uh, there's more of a, you know, the old Monday Night War, back and forth with WWE and WCW. There's more of that in MMA right now than there is in pro wrestling. So they've got Bellator breathing down their neck. Uh, this now creates a huge buzz that the UFC can badly use right now. That first Punk fight, which I would have to think will be on a pay-per-view, but who knows, maybe it'll be on Fox, that's going to do huge business. 
Huge business. Are you kidding me? I mean, these guys are in the business of making money, so <laughs> they're going to do that with Punk and Spades, at least on that first fight. Now, if he gets his ass knocked out and embarrassed, I don't know that there'll be much money in a second CM Punk fight, although, according to him, it's a multi-fight contract. But in that first fight, they're going to make tons of money, and Punk is going to make tons of money. It's the same dynamic with Brock Lesnar. You know, the MMA fans who absolutely hate the idea of a pro wrestler coming into their world are going to pay money to see this guy destroyed. And pro wrestling fans are going to pay money either to see him win or they'll pay money just out of curiosity to see him fight whether they like the guy or not. Uh, I have no idea who you would match him up with. I am a, I consider myself more of a casual MMA fan. I don't proclaim to be a hardcore MMA fan. I know the names of all the fighters. I don't. And I have no idea who they would match this guy up with. My guess is it would be another dude fighting for the first time. Otherwise, they'll just feed him some kind of scrub, kind of like they did at first. You know, Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley's had a couple of Bellator fights now. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, they seem to be going up a little bit more in experience level, his opponents each time. They'll put him in there with a scrub the first time. They have to. Anybody with real experience is going to kill him. It's going to kill him. And they know that. Uh, and I said this on Twitter. It, it, if it wasn't for weight classes, can you imagine the business that UFC would do for a Brock Lesnar-CM Punk fight. It would be an absolute slaughter, but it'd be a slaughter worth every bit of a million buys on pay-per-view. It's too bad we can't see it. I would pay to see it, but that's not going to happen. So, uh, good for Punk. You know, I, I'm sure Vince McMahon is not bothered by this at all. No sweat off his back. After all, UFC is in competition to WWE. Isn't that right, Vince? <laughs> now, if only Doc, uh, Doc Amon had cut that thing out of Punk's back when he asked him to and didn't feed him full of Z-Packs, none of this would have happened. But as fate turned out, it all led CM Punk to the octagon, so we'll see how he does next year. But obviously the internet blew up last night. That was the big news. It was a big surprise. People did not know that the deal was done. There have been rumors about it for a while. I don't think people honestly expected this to happen uh, the fact that it not only happened, but the announcement happened so quickly. Apparently the deal was done like a week ago. That came as a shock to a lot of people. Uh, and it's, it's funny, too, because I know Punk, I, I watched, again, the, the media scrum he did when the show was over. And he was sitting at the table, and they were asking him questions at the post-fight press conference. And, you know, he mentioned his wife. AJ was there with him. And uh, he even admitted, my wife is not thrilled about this. I would think not. You know, CM Punk, hey, Brock Lesnar didn't even come out of MMA unscathed. That, that scar you see on Brock's face was from one of his fights. Had his face split open. CM Punk may be coming out of this with more than just a few scars. If I were AJ Lee, I wouldn't feel too happy about this either. Uh, but he seems happy. We'll see if he's still happy after his first fight. Uh, I want to mention the Sound of Extra review I did of the Austin McMahon podcast, because I'm not going to get into it here other than to say it was awesome. Uh, it was excellent. It's well worth taking an hour and 15 minutes of your day to go watch it if you did not. Uh, and I would watch the video of it. Austin's probably going to put the audio up on Podcast One this week. Uh, I don't know if there'll be more that we didn't see, if there's like bonus audio. But do yourself a favor, if you have a network subscription, watch it on the network because it's worth it just to see, the, actually visually see the interaction between Austin and Vince and Vince's facial reactions to some of the questions uh, you don't get the same dynamic, I think, if you just listen to it. Uh, I thought it was great. You know, they touched on a lot of different subjects from uh, millennials, which apparently Vince is not a fan of and, and we're not ambitious enough. 
Cesaro, who he, he all but buried on this podcast. And I don't want to hear from people, well, he was trying to motivate Cesaro, just like he was trying to motivate the roster. No, he buried them. Uh, Cesaro, he talked about Punk. This is before all the UFC news broke. Randy Savage, I guess one of the bigger pieces of news to come out of it is that he confirmed Savage is absolutely going to go into the Hall of Fame. Didn't say when, probably going to happen next year. Uh, so there was a lot of ground that they covered, and Austin, he shied away from some stuff. He didn't follow up when he should have on a handful of questions, but I thought overall he did a bang-up job, and uh, I did a full hour-long review of the thing from start to finish. It's up on our YouTube channel. It's got uh, closing in now on 18,000 views, so go ahead and check that out if you haven't already done so. Uh, just to stay on the punk subject, just for a little bit longer, he did part two with Colt Cabana on The Art of Wrestling this past week. They were supposed to be answering fan questions. I guess the fans crashed the email address, so they didn't really spend very much time at all answering fan questions. Uh, but I still thought it was uh, a very... I don't want to say it was better than Part 1, because I thought Part 1 was more intriguing with the backstage stuff and all that, but it was actually really it was really good. Uh, it was an easy listen. Punk said that he didn't want to hear that it was a coincidence that the lawyers did not talk to talent relations, and so that's why he got his termination papers on his wedding day. He made it very clear he spoke to Triple H on June uh, 11th, and on June 13th he received a FedEx overnight with a document that was dated June 12th. Now, I know there was a lot of wrestlers who were also cut, I think, on that date. There was like a mass uh, firing and on WWE.com. They had a list of all these different people who were released. Punk was not one of those people. Uh, so he was not part of that list. I Look, I'm with Punk on this. you got to have your head in the clouds to think that this was just a coincidence. I, I tried to give Vince the benefit of the doubt when I talked about this, I think, last week and said, okay, maybe Vince didn't know, but certainly Triple H must have known. At the end of the day, I think Vince probably did know. Triple H knew for sure. This was not a coincidence, people. This was not a coincidence. And he also mentioned, you know, AJ had asked for that time off so she could get married and go on her honeymoon. And then the week after the honeymoon, she was already back on TV. So he doesn't want to hear it was a coincidence, and neither do I. It was not a coincidence. It was a very calculated move that blew up in their face, and now CM Punk is in UFC. And he's going to use a lot of that notoriety and all of his fame that he built up in WWE on Vince McMahon's watch to make money for Dana White and UFC. And you know what? That's on Vince McMahon. That's his fault. Uh, on Vince's apology, Punk said if, if it was a sincere apology, then he wouldn't have used it as a publicity stunt. That was the first he heard of Vince apologizing to him, and it was in front of the camera on the network. He says, you have my phone number, you have my address, you can show up when you're a 10-minute drive from my house, and apologize to me like a man. So that was his position on that. He said he was sick and tired of being sick and hurt, he was burnt out, uh, and he walked, and he said, I can do that because... I'm an independent contractor. He said their contracts uh, with their non-competes are not worth the paper they're printed on. And the fact is, he's been proven right multiple times. Look at Brock Lesnar. Look at Alberto Del Rio. They had non-competes too, and at the end of the day, they were able to go work somewhere else without being punished because the whole thing is nonsense. And I posted on my Twitter on Thursday night, so go back to my Twitter on Thursday night or just do a Google search. Uh, somebody had sent me a link to a blog that was done by this law firm, uh, Strasburger and Price, I believe the name of it is, and it was from last year, and the title of the blog is, No, 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 Your Independent Contractor Cannot Sign a Non-Compete, Never, Ever. This was written by a law firm. Find that piece. It is well worth reading. 
And it just goes to the heart of why this whole independent contractor label in WWE is such a farce. And I think it might have been Robert on, on, on my Facebook page who posted kind of a rebuttal where he pointed out that uh, you know WWE provides catering for their for their wrestlers and they do provide for some transportation and there's a lot of things they do. Nobody is is ignoring the fact that WWE does all of those things. I said this last week on my podcast. WWE pays for their airfare, but the wrestlers are responsible for their rental cars and their hotels. They do provide for catering. Absolutely, there are things that they do. Nobody is hiding that. That's not a big secret. But that doesn't change the fact that the classification of what these guys are is just it's wrong. It's flat out wrong. It doesn't change that. Nothing changes. It's a farce. You got to read that blog. I mean, you look at that headline, and it's just—it really jumps out at you. Uh, Punk said he was suspended. Nobody contacted him to tell him he was unsuspended and to say, "Hey, okay, we want you back at TV." Uh, and I thought this was interesting. He, you know, he said maybe in two months I'd be feeling better by that point, or I'd have come to my senses. But nobody ever found out because nobody ever reached out. That tells me when I hear him say that that there was a very good chance he would have come back had Vince reached out to him around that time. Now, he walked out on them, so I get it if they didn't immediately pick up the phone and call the guy and grovel for him to come back. Maybe they shouldn't have. If that were me and I and the guy walked out on me, I don't know that I would have been getting down on my hands and knees ready to, you know, blow him. But they they should have apologized for nearly working him to death literally to death on the staph infection thing. Because that, to me, is the most inexcusable part of this whole story. Wrestlers get beat up. They're hurt all the time. Punk is hardly the only guy. I, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for him just having injuries in general. But the the staph infection story, and it makes total sense to me that he ended up getting everything that he wanted to, and he didn't have to sign a non-disparage agreement, and he, and they threw out the non-compete. Think of everything this guy got. Think of why he is now in the UFC, less than a year after walking out on Vince McMahon, after walking out on his contract. How do you think this guy is allowed to walk around and publicly trash the company and sign a deal with their competitor? I don't give a shit what Vince McMahon says. UFC is absolutely a competitor. They're more of a competitor to them than TNA is. Why do you think Punk was allowed to do all of these things if what he was saying on the podcast with Cabana was complete lies? I mean, think about this for a second, people. Use your brain. Use common sense. The medical stuff is probably what tipped the scales in his favor. I absolutely believe the story about the staph infection. And to me, he was at least owed an apology for that, because that is inexcusable. And the fact that the doctor is still working, you know, they didn't get rid of him, he's still there, he's still treating other wrestlers, that's a scary thing. How did something like that go unnoticed for so long? I would think he would at least be owed an apology for that. Maybe Vince didn't know. Again, I find all of that very hard to believe. For walking out on them, I kind of get that. That the guy would feel he's owed an apology, yet he walked out on them. That, to me, I, I can understand them not coming back to punk and groveling. On the medical stuff, though, that's a whole other ballgame. But that, to me, is what was most interesting about this, is that he would probably be in WWE right now. Right now. Had they just reached out and apologized, at least for the medical stuff. It sounds like at that point, he had not completely shut the door on a return. Now, of course, he's in UFC, but back then, they still had a shot. And that, to me, was the most intriguing thing. Now, just to wrap the, the punk stuff up, and then we'll move on. 
he told some stories as well about uh, other opportunities. You know, he he went into on the first Cabana podcast opportunities that he had to make more money and maybe bring some more notoriety to the company and up his own profile that Vince shot down. And in a lot of cases, not only did they shoot him down, they gave those opportunities to other people like John Cena and Randy Orton. So here he, he gave a few more examples. He shared a story about Wizard World because Punk is a big comic book fan. It makes sense that he would you know, be doing something at an event like Wizard World. So he had gotten an offer to appear at Wizard World for a panel. They were going to pay him $20,000 for about four hours worth of work. Uh, he went to the office first like a good little soldier to let them know and to get it cleared. And they not only said no to letting Punk do it, they sent other people, including John Cena, in his place. He had a friend, another example, who worked on the reality show L.A. Inc., and they wanted to feature Punk on the show. Punk, obviously, is a big tattoo guy. He told the office, and they said, no, you don't want Punk. You want Randy Orton, who had just gotten, I guess, his tattoo sleeves done maybe a few months before. Uh, the Slim Jim. The Slim Jim story is the is the one that probably aggravated me the most listening to it. Uh, Slim Jim wanted Punk to be the new face of their brand like Randy Savage used to be. That's a big endorsement, not just for the company, but for the person who's in that position. Uh, and I think actually when Savage left WWE, he took the Slim Jim sponsorship with him, which may have been another reason why Vince was not happy with him. Uh, Punk's a huge fan of Randy Savage emulates him, uses moves, he's, he's dressed up using, you know, Savage's old tights on occasion. He's a big Randy Savage fan. Uh, who isn't? And that could have meant big money for him and big money for the company as well. So he had a meeting with the president of Slim Jim. They gave him all these Slim Jims to take home with him that day. He was so happy. They even went over creative for the, for the commercial they were going to work on. Uh, he would play this camp counselor in the commercial. And he tells WWE, and so what do they do? They give it instead to Rey Mysterio, Big Show, and Eve Torres. And the campaign was such a big hit, I barely remember it. <laughs> uh, that infuriated me just listening to it. Out of all the stuff he talked about on the second show, that is what pissed me off the most listening to it. Uh, it's obvious that no matter how popular you may be, if you don't fit the image of what they're looking for, if you're not already the, the, the tippy-top guy there, you're not going to get the same opportunities as other people. And Punk was a big, big star. He was the closest, I think, that they ever came to creating a new star on the level of a John Cena. Nobody has ever gotten at that level yet. Not Orton, not Daniel Bryan, not even Punk. He was almost there. He was the closest thing they had. And if they're doing this to a guy like him, then what chance does somebody like a Daniel Bryan or... Dean Ambrose or somebody like that have? If, if, let's say, they get opportunities like this, you think the company's going to give it to them or are they going to give it to John Cena? Are they going to give it to Randy Orton? You're just not going to get the same opportunities as those other people. And it's their company, so they can do what they want, although it is a publicly traded company now, so they have shareholders to answer to. But it really makes Vince McMahon look like a fool when he says, nobody has tried to reach for that brass ring since John Cena, while completely ignoring a guy like Punk or a guy like a Brian, or Dolph Ziggler, okay? It's disingenuous, and he's full of shit. Okay, JJ, a lot to cover. What is your response to what Solomon said? Oh, man, I, first of all, I love it. I mean, it was great, but uh, if you're covering the UFC thing, that was big news. I mean, I did not expect uh, to see Punk at the UFC pay-per-view and addressing the uh, Joe Rogan and Ariel Helwani. I mean, there was a huge press coverage, a uh, huge... 
conference where which Punk talked to media, and it was just it was a big shock. It pretty much blew up uh, on the internet, and everyone was talking about it. I mean, I knew that Punk, of course, has a fascination in uh, UFC and MMA. He's been doing a lot of mixed martial arts training for years now. I mean, uh, he's been you know working with uh, the Gracie, the Gracie Academy. Uh, Henner Gracie, as Solomon even mentioned, there's this really cool uh, breakdown video in which you can see Punk and uh, Henner Gracie kind of rolling around and emulating certain UFC fights and dissecting, you know, why, you know, guys, you know, put it in, in this hold and this submission or why, you know, they would strike here or there or why you can't get out of here. So it's really fascinating. Punk, obviously a huge fan of the sports, you know, He's been wanting to take that next step, that next level, and he's a guy who's very goal-oriented. You know, he has these goals that he strives for, that he works for, that he wants to accomplish, and it's it's a huge deal. He did sign a multi-fight deal, and uh, he did mention that, you know, Punk's 36 years old. Uh, you know, he's not getting into the MMA world uh, as young as some of these other guys. The other guys are coming in in their 20s, you know, so Punk has this very short window where this is about the time when a fighter is just about, you know, had it getting out of their prime. I mean, they did mention that there has been a few fighters, of course, in their 40s who have been somewhat successful in the MMA, but uh, that's a very small class of, of guys who really made it. Again, Punk, who has no experience in an MMA fight, he, his record is O and O. It's zero and zero. The man has never had a one fight. He's never had one fight. So there's a lot of people who aren't happy with this, you know, sports entertainer, this wrestler who's coming into the MMA world with, no, you know, no fight experience, and he already signed a contract with the UFC. A lot of fighters, you know, will go their whole careers hoping for an opportunity to fight in the UFC, which is the biggest MMA company around. So there's a lot of people who, uh, as Solomon pointed out, are probably going to be MMA fans who hate Punk just for, right away, just because he's not one of their own. So they're going to want to buy whatever pay-per-view he's on just to see him get knocked out or tapped out. So, I mean, that's great business for Dana White because – We've talked about it time and time again with the WWE, and the pay-per-view buy rates are down. The pay-per-views continue to get less and less every year. I mean, if you compare the numbers of WrestleMania this year to WrestleMania last year, if you compare the numbers to the TLC pay-per-view this weekend compared to the TLC pay-per-view last year, it's much smaller. And, of course, you could say, well, the WWE Network. Well, that's why they have the network. Because if you're not going to spend at least fifty dollars, maybe they can convince you to spend, you know, nine ninety nine. But again, that's the same even with the UFC. With the UFC, is actually more expensive. If you think the WWE is expensive at fifty dollars, I think the UFC is either sixty or sixty five dollars. It's even more money than the WWE. So I'm sure Dana is probably hurting too with the decline in pay per views. And now you got this guy, CM Punk, who is a household name, who a lot of people, whether it's wrestling fans or even casual fans, casual wrestling fans, casual MMA fans, they've at least heard of this guy. This guy has been around on a global stage. He's been in a lot of, you know, mainstream media attention over the last decade, again, due to the WWE and them, 
you know, working with him on a global stage. So he has this viewership. There are going to be wrestling fans who tune in who maybe never ordered a UFC pay-per-view before because they're either curious to see this wrestler come into another world. Will he win? Will he lose? Then you got people who are punk supporters, punk fans, who are definitely going to buy the pay-per-view. I mean, the, the man has over 2 million followers on Twitter, so I'm sure there's a good handful of people who will buy it and support Punk and to see whether or not he wins or loses. But it's definitely a win-win for the UFC and Dana White because people are going to tune in. They're going to tune in out of curiosity. They're going to tune in to see him get his ass kicked. I mean, he's got a lot to, to do in the UFC. He mentioned he doesn't even have a training camp yet. You know, he may have to leave Chicago and go to Los Angeles, to Vegas. He'll have to find just a, a camp where he can really focus and train so he can be a well-rounded fighter. Because in MMA, it's not just your, you know, your mixed martial arts. It's not just Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's not just, uh, you know, capoeira or whatever. It's, it's, it's everything. You know, MMA is boxing. It's kickboxing. He's going to have to be a well-rounded fighter. He's going to have to know kickboxing. He's going to have to know boxing. He's going to have to be a great striker because all it takes is one punch to get knocked out. I mean, I'm not a diehard MMA fan, but when the UFC went to Spike TV about a decade ago and it used to follow Monday Night Raw, I used to watch it. I used to watch it. I used to watch The Ultimate Fighter. I enjoyed it. And Again, I don't know all the fighters very well, but I enjoy watching the UFC from time to time, especially now it's on Fox. You can watch it for free. Uh, you know, it, it, it should be very interesting to see how Punk does. Again, it just adds where, much like Brock Lesnar, <clears throat> Lesnar's a special attraction in the WWE. He's only there a couple times a year. That's going to be CM Punk. CM Punk will be a special attraction in the UFC. You know, he's obviously not going to be wrestling, you know, 200 and some odd days a year. He's going to have maybe, what, two, three fights a year, tops. I mean, that's a, a much better than what he, you know, used to do in wrestling. Again, there's a very serious risk. I mean, it is mixed martial arts. You're talking about a guy, again, who's 36 years old, who's had multiple concussions. He's been injured. He mentioned his broken ribs. I mean, that's what very well could happen in the UFC. He could get another concussion. He could get knocked out. He could get broken ribs, broken, you name it. I mean, you know, the UFC, it could be barbaric at times. Bad things can happen. These guys are not there to, you know, play a, a scripted, uh, you know, choreography. These guys are out there to, to either choke you out or to knock you out. So it's going to be a huge challenge for Punk. But I think it's a challenge that he's looking forward to. He's mentioned he's had butterflies for the first time in, in, a, in a very long time where he was in the WWE and he was beating his head into the ground. He was sick. He hated his job. He was looking at the lights when he was laying on the mat at times and just thinking, what am I doing with my life? I can't do this anymore. I hate this. And now he's doing something where he's excited about. So I say, you know, props to CM Punk for chasing another dream. How many people can say they did what they wanted to do in their life, whether it was Punk who wanted to be a pro wrestler? He did that. Now he wants to be an MMA, MMA fighter. He's going to join the UFC. He's doing it. He also has, uh, which I'm sure is a huge uh, opportunity for him, but I think I mentioned before where he will be writing a comic book for Marvel Comics uh, that will be coming out next year. 
Uh, he'll be writing the Thor comic book. He also it was just announced he will be writing for DC Comics. This guy is fulfilling you know every dream that he's ever had. So congratulations to Punk, and I hope he does well. And you know I'm gonna watch the fights just because I too I'm curious to see what he does. You know how many years ago when Brock Lesnar went to UFC, people were curious. People said, oh he's a fake wrestler. He's gonna do terrible. He's gonna get his ass kicked. He became the UFC World Heavyweight Champion. You know, he had some impressive fights, and he also got his ass kicked a few times. That's just the nature of the fight business. But that could happen to CM Punk as well. Will he be successful? I don't know. But, uh, again, then there's that's just what happened with UFC and his signing. <clears throat> there's also the stuff that Solomon talked about with, uh, with the WWE. Maybe if the WWE would have talked to Punk and, instead of, you know, reaching out and then giving him his papers on his wedding day. There was a point when, uh, on Colt Cabana's podcast where Punk said maybe when, you know, a few months, you know, went by and I cooled off, if someone would have contacted me, maybe I would have went back. And uh, much like Solomon said, I was surprised to hear that. Uh, they even mentioned on the Stone Cold uh, Steve Austin podcast with Vince McMahon that there was one thing missing in their relationship, and uh, that was a Jim Ross, because when Austin left, they had Jim Ross as a buffer to talk to Austin and to sort of kind of bridge the gap into coming back to the WWE. And they didn't have that person to bridge the gap with CM Punk. So Punk just kind of went in his corner, and the WWE just went on their corner, and they just kind of just didn't communicate with each other. Punk didn't want to be the first guy to grovel back. The WWE didn't want to be the first guy to grovel back. So they let it play out. He got married. And, of course, on his wedding day of all days, he got his termination papers. And Vince McMahon denied the fact that he knew about it. Uh, he denied the fact that, oh, it was you know, talent relations. It was a mix-up. And as Punk said, his wife asked for time off. I think talent relations knew she was getting married, knew she would be on her honeymoon. Punk himself said he talked to Triple H. Triple H called him and wanted to talk to him. Punk mentioned to Triple H about his royalties and how they didn't cash him, and he said, you know, how about you straighten that out, and then after my wedding, we'll talk. And Triple H never returned his phone call, didn't talk to him. Instead, he overnight his termination papers. I mean, come on, he did it deliberately, and I'm pretty sure Vince knew about it as well. I mean, this was very deliberate, and then Vince comes on the WWE Network and apologizes with the cameras rolling. And as Punk said, if he was really apologetic, he would have apologized, you know, months ago. He would have called them up, or when the WWE was in Chicago, as he pointed out, hell, he could have just drove to his house. When Punk's whole settlement with the WWE ended in October, guess who flew out to Chicago to talk to him? Dana White. Dana White took the initiative to fly out just to talk to CM Punk to see if he wanted to fight for the UFC or not to make it happen and to do all the paperwork. He took that time to come out to see Punk, something that Vince and the WWE were a little too stubborn to do. And again, you could maybe look at the WWE's point of view that, well, Punk walked out on them. Why should they come groveling back? Well, obviously, if you look at their roster today, their lack of roster, the fact they're trying so hard to really develop the next big guy. I mean, we've only seen John Cena. Again, how many matches 
have we seen between Brock Lesnar and John Cena? That's it. They don't have anyone else to feed the Brock Lesnar who they feel is worthy. Maybe if Daniel Bryan wasn't hurt, he could have been one of those guys. Maybe if CM Punk was still in the company, he could have got a rematch that they had from SummerSlam. But it's just the WWE, they needed a guy like Punk. I mean, they're doing well, you know, without him. I wouldn't say that they're hurting or they miss Punk. You know, they got their guys like Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins who have stepped up. Roman Reigns, who just came back, who I think a lot of fans feel that he's the next uh, John Cena and he has the rocket boosters on him going straight to the moon. But, again, this is something that it's very unfortunate that this is what led to everything unwinding down with Punk and the WWE. But it's over with. It's done with. At least for now, he's signed with the UFC, so he will not be wrestling. But I'm very curious to see what happens with Punk in the UFC. That first fight should be very interesting. There's no date for it because, like I said, he's still trying to find a training camp. There's still so much going on. I would assume he would fight probably by, I would say, 2015 in the summer, maybe around July or August. He needs at least a good six to seven months to find a camp to train, to become a well-rounded fighter. And I would hope for Punk's sake that they don't feed him to the Lions because, again, his record is 0-0. Zero and zero. He's never had a professional fight in his life. Maybe he's had some fights in bars and things like that, but when it comes to the MMA world, he is 0-0. Zero and zero. So if you put him in the ring or in the octagon with a ringer, I would think he would be destroyed. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe he'll prove everyone wrong. I don't know. But I'm very curious to see it unfold and happen. And I wish nothing but the best for CM Punk, who's going out and achieving and reaching his dreams and taking new challenges. I think that's very admirable. And like they said, a lot of people might word out of uh, curiosity. But I do have... Yes. I do have a little clip of Stone Cold and Vince McMahon that he promised I played to the audience. So here's a small clip of Stone Cold with Vince McMahon, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Hey, if you're ready for the live Steve Austin Show podcast with myself and Vince McMahon, then give me a hell yeah. You ain't gonna mold me. What you see, Vince, is what you get. Austin, you will be humbled. I will fire your ass. I will continue to raise as much hell. Give you more gray hairs every single day of your life. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steve Austin Show, and welcome to the WWE Network. I'm coming to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm speaking with my guest, the chairman and CEO of WWE, Vince McMahon. Vince, how you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome to the Steve Austin Show. Thanks. Welcome to your network. Thanks. Speaking of network. Yep. How's it doing? <laughs> right off the bat, we ain't got time to sit down and mess around and get you comfortable. Uh, it's, it's Jump great. into the frying pan. How's the network doing? It's doing great, thanks. Um, subscriptions are good. 
entertainment, I think, is great. About a 97% satisfaction level on it. So that pretty much tells you, you know, uh, whether or not people like it. What have been some of the headaches and hassles? I know there's a lot of people over in the U.K. Right. They send me a lot of emails. Right. They're looking for the network. What's yeah, the delay on that? I mean, that's, that's been a start, stop, start, stop kind of like thing. Uh, we hope to have it pretty much settled by the first of the year. That's about all I can say about it right now. I don't want to say anything definite because it's like, oh, okay, then that's the deadline, you right. know, but uh, soon. It's right around the corner. Or, yes, I'd say so. A while back, I got a call from you, and you said, hey, man, we're going to unveil the network. We're going to do this in Las mm -hmm. Vegas. Can you be a part of it? I'm down in South Texas, drove my RV, and yep. was a part of it. I was very proud of it. Thank and uh, will this thing ultimately meet your expectations? Because you have high expectations in everything you do. I do have high expectations. Right. Um, and I think it definitely will. It takes a little time. It's a subscription model, uh, much like Netflix. It just takes a little while to build up, you know, uh, all the content you want to build up and make sure you're listening to the audience and give them exactly what they want. Give them exactly what they want. But I think we're giving them exactly what they want tonight. I mean, I'm on your show. You're on my show. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about giving them what they want. Right. How in tune right now with you, with the WWE Universe? You always like to listen to your crowd. Are mm -hmm. you giving the crowd what they want? Because I just got finished watching three hours of live sports entertainment right. slash pro wrestling. Where right. I come That's from? Sports entertainment. That's not where you come from. You know, pro wrestling is you know what my dad did. You know, come on. How I've did seen, pro I mean, wrestling segue into sports entertainment? I've seen you play the guitar. I've heard you sing. That was under the sports entertainment <laughs> umbrella. Of course. When I got in the ring, I wrestled 20 well, by yes, 20 square circle. Absolutely, did you? Ever. And we put on a show. Yeah, you and did. And you take people through highs and lows, and you entertain them through a wrestling match. Absolutely. Telling stories. That's what we do. Verbally, physically in the ring, we're telling stories. The whole night is a story. And hopefully we entertain everyone. Don't always, you know, I mean, some of these matches don't always hit. You know that. Right. Uh, and the audience knows that as well. Some of them really do. Um, I thought that Bray Wyatt tonight, you know, looked pretty damn good. Um, so did Ambrose. I thought the six-man match at the end of the night was, was really good. I think we started off with, a, you know, pretty hot, started out with a bang. So I like tonight's show. Now three hours of live wrestling. <laughs> three hours of live sports entertainment. you got to help me out here. I run a podcast that's pretty loose, right. sports entertainment. Three hours live. How you know, tough no, is that to do every single week? No one does that. Uh, and again, we're the longest-running weekly episodic television show in history. When you think about how many years we've been doing this, uh, and how many shows, and three hours live, it, you know, and here in Tulsa, I mean, it's like we're all over the world. And when you come and you're doing, you're traveling every week, you know, uh, these trucks are on the road every week, you know, this set, you know, I mean, we do magic with a lot of, a lot of help with a lot of people behind the scenes make all of this happen performers have to be right uh, you know whether or not they are hurt or haven't had any sleep or whatever it is and you know this very well when you go out in front of that live audience you've got that adrenaline going and you want to perform to your best extent and that's what our guys and gals do every week now I got fired up just watching the show I like being around the environment uh, I enjoyed my time you know my run here as a WWE I guess superstar. you did I did too when you when I look at the show I'd like to see more in-ring wrestling action right. under the umbrella of sports entertainment. Sure. But you've got to run a three-hour show. You've only got so many guys and gals. Uh, am I wrong or in wanting more wrestling? That first segment sometimes, I think, takes a little too long to set the hook. Sometimes it does. Um, I think in order to care about the match, you have to care about the performers and the storyline that goes into it. Therefore, you have to build up to that. If it's just two guys out there wrestling, 
and they're just rustling for rustling's sake. I don't know their story, so therefore I don't care about the outcome. So I want to know what the outcome is going to be once you have two individuals that are adversaries out there. Understood. I walked in here to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, there's a different vibe in here. And, you know, obviously my heyday was back in the Attitude Era. But there's just a different feel in the locker room. And, you know, there's really no other options, you know, than the WWE out there. Really, when you think about it, mm -hmm. uh, to make a living. Uh, there's their other, uh, you got TNA and other guys, but I'm talking about the big leagues, this is it. Sure. Uh, it seems to me guys and gals backstage are walking on eggshells. They're trepidatious. They're a little afraid to really go out on a limb because there is no other option. And no, if, if they it. piss somebody, if they tick somebody off right. here, right. well, then, you know, there goes their career. Well, don't piss anybody off. I pissed a lot of people off. I, had <laughs> I know you have. That, that, that's I my, right. I wanted to challenge the locker room. Well, you I, you know, much, go ahead. I, you know, you have, this is a different group of guys and gals. It's millennials. You know, they're, they're not as ambitious, quite frankly, um, and they're not trepidatious at all. I just don't think they necessarily want to reach for that brass ring. The last person who really reached for that brass ring in all likelihood was John Cena. Now, there are others coming up now who definitely want to reach for it. Ambrose is one of them. Seth Rollins is another one. Roman Reigns is another one. Bray's another one. So I think you've got some people here who are chomping at the bit to make a difference. But when you're walking around, you know, backstage, you don't hear as much, you know, uh, camaraderie perhaps and laughter is in your era. Shenanigans. But then again, you know, there's some other things that they do. You know, but you just said this locker room wasn't as ambitious as the one I was in. I would suggest that's correct. Why is that? It's a different, again, I said it's millennials. It's, it's a millennials. different point of view. Well, if you reach for that brass ring and you fall on your butt, no one wants to, no one wants to fail. And there's this feeling that, you know, this insecurity that if you fail, you're, you know, you're exposed. Right. So, I, you know, I think that that's all largely uh, pretty much what it is. Because you give everybody the opportunities, you give everyone resources, which you never had. You know, we, the things that we do now from a television production standpoint, social media, oh my God, social media is huge. You know, it helps talent uh, in so many different ways. It gives them the tools that you didn't have, other people like you did not have. It's utilization of those to, uh, tools that's very important for talent to use. And they do use them, you know, but not in the way you did. I want to sit here right now in front of you and in front of the world on the WWE Network and issue a challenge to the WWE superstars. And I talked to a lot of the guys, John Cena, some of the guys I've known for years, and some of the guys who I just met. And I'm going to issue them a challenge to go out on a limb because I'm sitting there looking at you right in the eyes, and you're saying, I think you need more superstars. You need more depth on this roster. Agreed? Agreed. I mean, and Don, John Cena and, and every top guy here wants another dance partner. But you got to get up that ladder to be a dance partner. Mm -hmm. But you got to go on a limb to get over. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yes. You got to take a chance. You do indeed. Okay, I get asked all the time on my uh, show, uh, Steve, tell me how you get to the top in pro wrestling. Uh, how do I get into? How do I get to the top in sports entertainment? Right. How do I get to uh, just, just to get into business in general? As a promoter, what are you looking for in a potential WWE superstar? I'm looking for someone who has charisma. Uh, someone who has a great deal of heart, strong work ethic, uh, and some innate skills, and someone who wants to learn as much as they possibly can, which, in fact, we learn every single day. All of us, you know, you did every day. Everyone does. As a promoter, you do. So, I mean, you, you want someone with those kind of skills, verbal skills, physical skills, you know, and someone who has the passion, you know, for our business. 
And once you find that, it's simply giving someone those tools to be able to work with, put them in the right environment against the right opponent, opponent, and from there you continue to build. First thing you know, you got yourself a star. A long time ago, you and I were watching a match. We were watching the matches at Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. The entrance to Madison Square Garden is very short. It's a blue curtain. It's a right. cheap-ass blue curtain. Covers, you know, the entrance yep. from the backstage area. And you and I were watching the matches, and a particular guy went out, and he got a pretty damn good pop. Mm -hmm. Got a better pop than he normally did. And we looked at each other and said, hey, man, that's a pretty good pop. And you looked at me, and you said, yeah, I really hope he gets over. And that was uh, a light bulb went off in my head because I was starting to really gain momentum in Stone Cold, mm -hmm. starting to get hot. And so my point is, you know, as a promoter, that said to me, you don't have a magic wand that you can just make someone be over. Now, you can put the jetpack on someone and put the rocket boosters on them and send them with some forward momentum, but therein lies what they have to bring. Well, it's the audience, really. I mean, the audience makes or breaks a star. You can do can put everything you can, all the resources in the world behind someone. If the audience doesn't want that person to be a star, they don't believe in him or her. It's not going to happen. Okay, let's talk about a couple of cats. I was just talking to uh, Cesaro backstage. Right. Guy with a lot of physical skills, mm -hmm. uh, strong dude, uh, great in-ring work. Uh, what's the one piece where he's not connecting? Uh, he's not connecting yet, and we hope he will. I mean, he doesn't quite have the charisma. Does it have quite the uh, verbal skills as well? It may be because he's Swiss. I don't know in terms of the European style. But those are the big things that he's lacking. The audience needs to care about you. They need to be able to, to, to feel your presence. You need to be able to project that. He's an extraordinary physical talent. Extraordinary. Right. Uh, but at the moment, and hopefully you'll get it, he lacks it. You know, but organically, I started to like the cat when uh, they split him up from uh, Swagger and Zeb Coulter, mm -hmm. went off on his own. Kind of, He was doing some impressive things in the mm -hmm. ring and started to respect, you know, his ability. Then they put him with Paul Heyman, who I love, but as a heel manager. So then all of a sudden you're saying, hey, now you got to hate this guy because he's guilt by association with Heyman. Then he goes back by himself. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of got thrown or, or lost in the shuffle and lost a little bit of uh, direction. But before he went with Heyman, I just started liking the guy mm -hmm. because I started respecting him. And then he kind of lost his momentum. Uh, just from a booking standpoint, what can you do to further his cause? I'm he, not certain. I don't have the answer to everything. Right. Know? I mean, I'm, I'm not certain. I listen to a lot of people, a lot of people's advice, uh, and listen to the audience. I'm not so sure that I have that answer. I'll, I'm not giving up. Don't get me wrong. Right. You know. And he's a great talent, in-ring talent, physically. I just, uh, there's something missing, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it exactly to say, okay, now we're going to the dance. Right. I was uh, backstage, kind of milling around. Uh, I see, you know, a lot of guys walking around with pieces of paper. And you've got a big writing staff mm -hmm. here, right. you know, for a live television taping. And uh, back in the day... Back in the old days, you used to sit by your swimming pool with Pat Patterson, and y'all would book the territory. It was a two-man process. Every now and then, Jim Ross would come by, or, or mm -hmm. Bruce Pritchard, or whoever. Right. But basically, it was a couple of man show. And so how did it get so complicated? Uh, did the world of sports entertainment get that much harder when I left? Because when I was here, you know, there was a handful of writers, a couple. Right. And you were overseeing them. You kept, you know... Those guys in check, they're cranking out some good stuff. Right. How did this uh, 
process gets so complicated. But as you were leaving, the company was growing by leaps and bounds. It went public. Uh, and it's a different company today. Uh, and, and things have changed. You have to change with the times. So having a, a quote, bunch of writers around is, is crucial because it's not going to come from one man. You know, no one man has the answers to all this creative stuff. And quite frankly, it's not a one-man show. It grew into this extraordinary organization, you know, with a lot of people, a lot of talent, uh, be they writers or executives or what have you. It's it's just it's a huge mammoth organization. I can't do it all. When I sat back with Pat Patterson, you know, at the swimming pool, so to speak, which was a blast, and poor Pat, you know, I worked him to the bone. Right. Uh, but <laughs> as I do most everybody, me first. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, Pat and I would sit there for hours and. Uh, you know, and book and, and write television and things about nature until someone, you know, walked along and wanted to say hello uh, or came from the office with a message or something like that. And then when it happened, we would normally push them in the pool. Right. And it happened to Nick Bockwinkle. It happened to Dusty Rhodes. Uh, and the look, you know, quite frankly, of, and I love pranks, as you know, ribs. And the look on someone's face when you shove them and they're in the air and they're saying to themselves, no. This is not happening. I'm not really going in the pool. I'm not really going. And then when they come up and they realize that they're completely, totally wet, watch the whole deal. It, it is one of the funniest things in the world. Now, one of the funniest stories that happened on one of these illustrious booking sessions was... You have to have some fun. Our business is about fun. That's what it's about. So you have to have fun making fun. And, and we still do. I know, which leads me to my story. Okay. This is at one of these illustrious booking sessions at your swimming pool. You were the guy walking by the swimming pool. Your son, Shane, pushed you into the pool. And as he tells a story, you were suspended above water for almost five seconds, it seemed, hang time. And a lot of four-letter words boiled out of your mouth. You turned red, and then you sank in the water. Um. The story goes that the water then started to boil. Exactly. Uh, no, that's not really the case, but, God, I chased him everywhere. I couldn't wait to get my hands on him, but uh, he drove away. He got away. What happened to Shane? Where's he at? Shane is busy. He's doing a number of things. He's busy working in Japan, uh, and he's got his fingers in a, a lot of pots, uh, and he's a happy camper uh, and enjoying his family. Why did he decide to get out of the WWE? Um, it was sort of a mutual feeling, you know, it's a situation whereby um, he had talent which could take other places, and let's face it, you know, family businesses are very, very difficult. Sometimes, and my wife was one time, as you know, in, in the business, uh, and, and Shane, so it's not, we don't all get along all the time, but sometimes, you know, being a son or being a dad, it's difficult in business, you know, and, and or having your wife working with you. You know, that's not a piece of cake either. So, I mean, you know, you have to do in the end, you know, I try to, and it's my interpretation, to do what's right for business. Did you want your kid? Okay, that was a clip, JJ, uh, from the uh, infamous podcast with Stone Cold and Mitch McMahon. What did you think of it? And uh, how do you, would you recommend it to people? Yeah, I would uh, recommend it to people. Uh, if you're a new fan, if you've only been watching for the last few years, <clears throat> if you're a longtime fan, if you've been watching for, you know, since, you know, the last 30 years, 
I think you should uh, definitely tune in and listen to the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast with Vince McMahon. They went over a number of things that they covered, of course, the network and how, uh, you know, is it, you know, meeting Vince's expectations, the launch with the UK. Uh, and, uh, you know, the network, I think, like I said, this is the new business model. This is the new standard. Again, pay-per-views are dying. People don't want to pay $50 for a pay-per-view. People want, you know, something that's very fast and easy. They want this new technology where you can you can watch the a pay-per-view on your phone. You could watch it on your iPad. You could watch it on your, you know, whatever device that you have. You know, I, I watched TLC, you know, on my iPad uh, this, this past weekend. I could even watch it on my phone. My phone uh, is uh, Verizon or Samsung, AT&T. I don't even know what the hell. But you can watch it on your phone. I mean, it's it's amazing that uh, you can now watch this stuff on your phone, and it's, a, you know, for the most part, it's a good quality. Maybe there's a hiccup now and then. The, the stream could freeze. It could get kind of fuzzy. But for $9.99, I'm not going to complain, considering I used to be paying $50 for this stuff almost every month, which is ridiculous. But... Again, uh, the three-hour shows. Uh, again, you know, NXT had a pay-per-view, not, not not necessarily a pay-per-view. They call it a special event because it's not on pay-per-view. It's on the network. It was just two hours, a two-hour special event compared to the TLC three-hour pay-per-view, and everybody loved what they saw in NXT. You could watch NXT every Thursday, and it's only one hour, one hour every week as opposed to Raw every week, which is three hours. And more and more I hear people say that NXT is the better show, just because it's not oversaturated, just because you're not seeing the same guys wrestle each other, you know, three times a week on Raw, on Main Event, on SmackDown. We're seeing the same guys over and over again. You're not seeing that. When you're watching NXT, you're watching one guys one week, and maybe you'll see a different crop of guys the next week. You know, you're seeing it's fresh, it's new. They they give enough time to where they dedicate toward the wrestling. You know, Vince liked to talk about sports entertainment. He mentioned that what Austin was, Austin's a sports entertainer. And Austin said, well, yeah, you know, when you asked me to do skits and, you know, play the violin or sing songs or whatever, I did that under the sports entertainment umbrella. But when I stepped foot in that squared circle, that's a pro wrestling. What I do in the ring is wrestling. And I think Vince just wants to put it under one umbrella and call it the same. And there is a difference. And the fans are smart today. The fans know there's a difference. And, of course, you have casual fans who maybe want the sports entertainment, who maybe don't understand the wrestling. Maybe, as Vince pointed out, that's why the intro to Raw is sometimes 15 to 20 minutes because he's trying to convince these casual fans to care about these superstars, to care about why they're wrestling each other and why it's so important. Whereas NXT, you could start a matchup, and you know that these are pro wrestling fans who all they really want is a good match. If you give them a good match, they'll be happy. You don't always have to have the best storyline going into a match. I mean, it helps. It makes it uh, a more enthralling experience where you're glued to the TV. But at the same time, a good wrestling match is a good wrestling match. And I think even casual fans could appreciate a good match when they see it. You know, and they talked about guys not grabbing the brass ring. And here's the thing where I just 
Vince completely loses me. While I do love uh, the podcast with Austin and Vince, while I do think it really humanized Vince. You know, most of us fans, you know, if you watch Vince on television, you know him as the Mr. McMahon character, the evil boss. But when he talked to Austin, it did humanize him. It made him kind of like, you know, I mean, granted he's a millionaire, but it made him like a regular guy. He's just, you know, bullshitting with Steve. But at the same token, he said that, you know, not enough guys are grabbing the brass ring. And he said the only guy to really grab the brass ring was John Cena. And yet, what did he say just before that? He said, oh, when Austin mentioned guys are walking on eggshells, they're afraid to piss people off. And Vince said, well, don't piss people off. Don't piss people off. How the hell are guys supposed to get ahead if you don't want them pissing people off? Maybe they don't want to do something and they got to complain to the office. Maybe they got to complain to Vince. Maybe they got to complain to Triple H saying, this idea sucks. Let's come up with something better. And yet Vince said, don't piss anybody off. He wants everyone to do what they tell them to do. So how are people supposed to, you know, grab that brass ring when you're constantly putting that glass ceiling over them? That's the most hypocritical thing I've ever heard. You know, here, you want a brass ring? Come and get it, but don't piss people off along the way. Well, you know, you're going to piss a few people off if you don't agree with them, if you think something's stupid, if you think it's going to hurt maybe your character. You know, a guy like CM Punk, I like that they didn't address him, a guy who was very hungry, a guy who fought tooth and nail for that main event spot at WrestleMania and got denied it year after year, despite having really acclaimed matches, especially his last match with The Undertaker, which even Vince McMahon even said that uh, even Kevin Dunn said that Punk and Taker should have been the main event, and yet they got passed over and they got overlooked for Roxena which, you know, no offense to Rock and Cena, they did their best, they're two acclaimed guys, they're big you know, main eventers, they're big, you know, big shots, rocks in Hollywood, seen as the number one guy, so obviously they're the main event. But at the same time, their match, ugh, you know, I, it was okay, it's passable, but compared to Taker and Punk, which stole the show and you couldn't top, that's the main event. And yet, Punk got screwed over. He, you know, fought tooth and nail during that one uh, podcast with Colt Cabana. He mentioned all the things, that, all ideas that he had and wanted to do. And like uh, Solomon pointed out, a good soldier, Punk would go to the WWE and say, hey, listen, I have these sponsors that want to work with me. Maybe we can work something out. It'll be a great way to uh, you know, shed light on the company, and it's a great way that I can make a little extra money myself. And in the meanwhile, if it's a success, maybe other sponsors would, might want to help and sponsor other talents. It could be a great way for the boys to make some extra money and Vince completely shot it down. And yet a year later when Brock signed with the WWE, what was the first thing he had on his trunks? Jimmy John's. He, he had sponsors on his gear and you know, it punk got completely passed over. Uh, they mentioned the thing with Slim Jim. Slim Jim wanted to work with punk. Obviously punk, a huge fan of Randy Savage. And again, the WWE, screwed punk out of that and they put their guys they put big show they put mysterio they put eve torres there was another incident where punk listed uh the WWE wanted to put sheamus on the cover of one of their video games uh, WWE 13 in which thq at the time because thq was in charge of the wrestling games before 2k bought them out 
THQ said, no, we want CM Punk on the cover. He's, you know, the big guy, he did the pipe bomb. He was the, everyone was going nuts over CM Punk. They knew that. I mean, this, this uh, video game company could tell that Punk was a hot item in WWE. They wanted that guy on their cover to sell video games. And yet the WWE was like, no, I don't think you want CM Punk. I think you want Sheamus. And then Punk. Again, Mr. Tattoo Guy, he's all tattooed up all over his chest and his arms and whatever, and he's got these friends who have this show about L.A. Inc. and about tattooing, and the WWE says, you know, you want Randy Orton. You don't want to see him. And it's like, what the hell? What are you supposed to do when you're giving the WWE these opportunities and they're completely shooting you down? How are you supposed to grab this brass ring when you're constantly being shut down, when you're constantly being overlooked and being looked towards the guys who fit the company mold, a guy like a John Cena, a guy like a Randy Orton, and possibly a guy like Roman Reigns, who could be the next big star for them. So it's just, I just, that whole thing about grabbing the brass ring and, and yet don't piss people off, I just, I don't even have words for that. That is so frustrating to me. And I don't even work for the WWE. And I'm frustrated for those guys who get shot down and screwed out of opportunities and aren't in a better position in the company. And it's all just to better the company. I want to see a guy like Cesaro be a main eventer because it would be great for the company. Yeah, it would be great for fans too because we're tired of seeing John Cena in the top spot for the last decade. And I was very happy that the WWE for the last two months has you know, given the opportunity to a guy like Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose main evented Hell in the Cell with Seth Rollins. Now Dean Ambrose main evented TLC with Bray Wyatt. It's refreshing to see new stars get the opportunity to main event, close the show, and hopefully be considered the next big star in the company. And it's nice to see a guy like Cena actually step down a peg or two. But we'll see where it goes, whether or not Dean Ambrose will be their guy, whether or not it'll be Roman Reigns, whether or not it's Bray Wyatt or Seth Rollins, we don't know. All we know for sure is that John Cena is their number one guy. He's what they're working with and what they're always working towards and promoting and showing what he does. He's up for some award now because of his Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation, which, again, is very charitable. It's a wonderful thing he does. But the WWE loves to highlight just him. They don't highlight the other guys. Cesaro probably has done it. They only highlighted uh, Daniel Bryan because of that, that little boy, Connor, and his story, who was so touching and so it was so sad uh, what he had, the, I think, brain cancer. And they've even gone to make... Uh, you know, donations to the dirty shop. They have little Connor bracelets that you can purchase, and they give the money to uh, the charities and other and, uh, his families, which it's a great cause. It's a great thing they're doing. But if it wasn't for that case of that boy, Daniel Bryan probably would have never got highlighted in those uh, events that he was doing for Make-A-Wish. So it's just a very sad when you see them only selecting certain people for certain roles and certain parts and overlooking other guys. Now, I do like Cesaro. I think he's a tremendous talent. I think he has a potential, although much like Vince was saying in that podcast, there is something missing, and I don't know what that is exactly. Like Steve Austin, who was the ringmaster, he was missing something, and it took him being stone cold Steve Austin. It took him winning the King of the Ring and saying, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass, 
and that was a ball game changer for him. And it took him to new heights and new levels that sports entertainment and even pro wrestling has never seen before. So I would hope we would see another boom like that in the next few years. I don't know if we'll ever reach the same heights of the Attitude Era again. Of course, they say never say never. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that Punk, Vince, Austin, the podcast, the whole thing is just uh, is just really exhausting. I think we've talked about it uh, a lot. And it's just, it's just the WWE and the way they do business today and the whole business model of the company being a public-traded company. Of course, they have these uh, companies, these stockholders to answer to, and these it's just, it's very different. It's a different world today than it was 10 years ago, than it was 30 years ago, than it was 50 years ago. I mean, wrestling continues to evolve and change. And I don't know if it's been changing for the better or not. Um, I totally agree, but they uh, really went after Cesaro. I noticed uh, Vince McMahon, I don't know, didn't think he, he seemed downright um, I don't know, non-supportive is the right word. Uh, he just didn't seem too, too, too much caring in uh, Cesaro. Yeah, I mean, he said he didn't know what to, he He flat out said, I don't know what the problem is. I, I don't have the answers. You know, he doesn't know what to do with the guy. And I think that's evident if you've been watching WWE television for the last three years. When Cesaro first came up, he had Exana, uh, Exana. She was speaking for him. She was, uh, you know, talking about how he spoke all these different languages and all this stuff. And then they got rid of her. And then he was on his own. And then he was yodeling. Oh my God! Do you remember when Cesar would walk down the ring, yodeling, yodeling, yodeling? He was yodeling for God's sake. They didn't know what the hell to do with the guy. Then they put some French beret on him. They gave him some jacket. Now they got him, uh, then they put him with uh, Jack Swagger and the Real Americans. And then, for a brief moment, I thought maybe they found the right thing to do with him when he was teamed up with Swagger and Coulter and they were the Real Americans. I really enjoyed Cesaro. The fans loved Cesaro. They were getting behind them. And what do they do? They split him up. They split him up. Now he's a Paul Heyman guy. And what did that do for him? It didn't do anything for him. He went nowhere. And now they took him away from Paul Heyman. And what do they do with him now? They, I don't know what the hell they did. They put a towel on his head. Now he thinks he's Taz. And he comes down to the ring with a towel. And now he's tag teaming with Tyson Kidd. Tyson Kidd, another guy they don't know what to do with. So now you've got two guys who they don't know what to do with. And they're hoping that they just work. That's Vince McMahon's solution. It's almost like he's going backwards. But uh, I wanted to touch on uh, Batista. There is the uh, Solo Monster, Batista, the new James Bond. We talked about Punk joining UFC. There was another story this week of a former wrestler, or soon-to-be former wrestler, I'm sure. If he's smart, he'll get out, uh, who is going on to bigger, uh, bigger things outside of wrestling, and that is Dave Batista. Dave Batista has officially, there's been rumors about this, but he was officially cast, the announcement was made this week, as a key henchman in the new James Bond movie that's coming out next November. The film is going to be called Spectre. It comes out in theaters November 6th, 2015. 
Christoph Waltz will be playing the lead villain in the film, possibly the character of Blowfield, who was played by the great Donald Pleasance in one of the earlier Bond films, You Only Live Twice. The image of the, the evil villain sitting there applying world domination while stroking his cat and no, that's not a, a euphemism for masturbation. He literally would sit there stroking his cat. That came from the Blowfield character. And if you don't know who Donald Pleasance is, he played Dr. Loomis in the Halloween films and was fucking awesome at it. Uh, but what makes this relevant to, to this podcast is that Batista has been cast as the villain's lead henchman named Hinks. Hinks is his name. I, I think this is fantastic because I think Batista is actually a really good actor and he's only scratching the surface of what he could be. I was one of the earliest people on a wrestling podcast to praise his acting work after he did that Wrong Side of Town movie with Rob Van Dam. I thought he was very good in uh, House of the Rising Sun, another indie movie he did when he left WWE. And he was the star. He was the lead star of that movie, unlike the RVD movie where it was more of like a bit role. Uh, he was the star of this one. I thought his acting in there was actually... Uh, pretty impressive, and he was hilarious as Drax the Destroyer in Guardians of the Galaxy. And as much as people praised him for that, I still think he is underrated as an actor. Plus, I'm a James Bond fan, so put the two of them together, and this news makes me very happy. Uh, Daniel Craig is coming back as Bond for the third time, I believe. Uh, no, the four, four, is, fourth, is it fourth time? I think it's the fourth Bond film for him. So, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, and then this one. So this would be number four. Uh, I love Casino Royale. Uh, the opening action sequence at the construction site in that movie I thought was incredible. I loved that film. Quantum of Solace, not as good, but not a bad movie. Skyfall, I was not a fan. Uh, I was left disappointed. Now, I have not watched Skyfall since I saw it in the theater the first time, so maybe I'd be kinder to it if I watched it again. But I'm a big fan of Daniel Craig as Bond. He's my second favorite Bond behind Roger Moore. I know it's blasphemy not to mention Sean Connery when you say best Bonds, but I can't really comment on Sean Connery as Bond because I never saw, believe it or not, a full Sean Connery Bond film. And I do count myself a big James Bond fan. I've never seen a full film with him in it as Bond. Uh, I mean, that <laughs> that must be what it's like to grow up with the current like wrestling product and think John Cena is the best wrestler in the world and getting death threats from people for not mentioning Bret Hart or Steve Austin because I didn't grow up on those guys or something like that. You know, m my mother was a fan of Roger Moore as James Bond, had all the tapes, so that's what I grew up with. I grew up watching VHS tapes, you know, The Man with the Golden Gun, which was my favorite Roger Moore Bond film. That was the first time I ever realized you could be born with a third nipple. That was quite the shocking development to me as a young kid. Uh, Moonraker, The Spy Who Loved Me, Live and Let Die, A View to a Kill, which I think was the last Bond film that, that Roger Moore did. Uh, and one of my favorite titles for a movie of all time, Octopussy. <laughs> I, love, I, I love how here in the States, we're so sensitive to using bad language on television and certain types of sexual situations. You know, it's it's not as open as it is, say, in Europe, where stuff like that or a naked woman on TV is like no big deal. You know, because they're actually mature about those things, unlike most Americans. So they're constantly editing stuff so it's appropriate to air here on TV. And, I mean, I mean the radio... Oh, my God. I mean, it's unbearable to listen to terrestrial radio anymore. Satellite radio is the way to go. 
they play the same five fucking songs on the radio over and over again all day long, and the songs usually suck. But they'll take a good song on the radio that happens to have bad language or, like, drug references or something like that, and they'll edit the songs to shit so it sounds like... Uh, 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 the. Uh, like like all these like start and stops, you can't hear what the guy is saying. It's like why even play the damn song if you're gonna chop it up like that? You know they chop it up so much you can't even understand what they're saying. So anyway, the point of all this is I always loved it when they would air Octopussy on TV because there was no way around it. It's the name of the movie. You can't edit it. You can't ignore it. Uh, it's not an offensive word. It's 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 Octopussy. It's a completely different word. Only it isn't, and you couldn't help but laugh. So they would have to air it that way, and you just know they hated doing that. But I would look at the listings, and I would see, oh, Octopussy is on tonight. I would always laugh. But yeah, I, I'm a Roger Moore guy. There's a t-shirt idea for our store. So good for Big Dave. I'm happy for the guy. This is a big, big role for him. He's had an incredible year, if you think about it. He did the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which is Marvel. That took off. He goes from getting himself a, a recurring role in a Marvel franchise, a movie that made like a billion dollars worldwide, to being in the next Bond film, and then in between he's been working on that uh, Kickboxer remake that he's going to be in next year as well. Uh, I, it's, it's a really big deal for him, and if I'm him, especially after how my last run went, I'm leaving WWE in my rearview mirror, and I'm making a name for myself in Hollywood. And the rumor was that when he came back to WWE, whatever agreement he reached with Triple H, he signed a two-year contract. So as far as I know, he's still technically under contract to WWE, I think for like another year. But even so, I would leave that in my rearview mirror. There, there must be some kind of clause or an understanding that if his film career takes off, it takes precedent over his wrestling career. Because the good thing about landing big roles like this is that you can call your own shots. He doesn't need WWE. WWE needs him. And Christoph Waltz is fucking amazing. Inglorious Bastards. I mean, come on. You should watch that movie anyway just to see a bunch of Nazis get killed. Any movie where Nazis are blown up to bits as graphically as humanly possible is automatically a great movie in my book. That never gets old. But watch it for the acting that Christoph Waltz does. I, I, can't, I just Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. He's in this movie. Batista's in this movie. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Good for Big Dave. I'm happy for him. Hey, DJ, what's your thoughts what you just heard? Yeah, you know, congratulations to Batista. In fact, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was released on DVD uh, last Tuesday, so you can pick it up if you didn't see it in theaters uh, this past summer. You know, Batista had a, a great role in that. Uh, it was a very fun. He played Drax the Destroyer. Uh, you know, he played this kind of like badass warrior, but at the same time, you know, he showed his range and comedy and uh, he did a, a really great job. You know, I enjoyed it. Uh, the movie took off as one of the, the biggest movies of the year. It made a uh, tremendous at the box office. I think Solomon said, was it a billion or so? Uh, it was, you know, it was probably one of the biggest movies that came out this year. And again, this is a type of movie in the Marvel Universe at which he'll be back. You know, they're going to have sequels and they're going to do uh, more Guardians movies. So they're going to be depending on Batista. Uh, so, you know, good for him for landing the role and the success that it's had. And it's going to lead to so many great opportunities for his acting career, uh, like this James Bond movie, which, again, James Bond, a, a character who's been around for, Jesus, you know, so many years. And now you have Daniel Craig, who's already playing his uh, fourth movie as, as, the, as James Bond. 
So it should be a, a very big uh, movie again for Batista. It should do well in the box office. I'm sure a lot of people looking forward, uh, a lot of diehard James Bond fans. Uh, you know, Batista's really, he doesn't, as Solomon pointed out, he doesn't really need the WWE. I mean, whether or not he signed on a contract for another year or so, if he were to come back, I think uh, he would have to plan a retirement. He'd have to just do one more match and that's just be done with it because he can't afford to risk an injury while his career is taking off like that. He's really dependent. Uh, he's really focused on doing all he can do in acting. And, you know, my hat's uh, off to him. You know, I, I've always been kind of hard on the guy when it came to wrestling. I wouldn't say he was my favorite wrestler in the world, but I definitely have a greater appreciation for him. We played uh, some of his interviews with uh, Jericho on his podcast, and I really got to see a different side of Batista, and I really, uh, really respect just uh, the the wrestler he is and what uh, he wants to give to the fans and just to the business itself. I mean, he came back again. He didn't have to come back. He did come back. He tried to do what he could for the business. Unfortunately, the business was not, uh, you know, for him because everyone was so focused on Daniel Bryan. They didn't care about Batista. They kind of just crapped all over the guy. So, I don't know. Do you really want to come back to that? I mean, who knows what position they would put him in and the fans going to react the same way. I mean, I don't know. But then again, I'm sure they, you know, make the most of it and do whatever they can. But uh, I don't know if we've seen the last of Batista inside a ring, but uh, I think he has at least one more match in him. Maybe, like I said, a retirement match, but right now he's fully dedicated to his acting career and, you know, kudos to him. He's doing, you know, big things in Hollywood. So congrats. Uh, yeah, no question. Uh, didn't work out his return when he came back to the WWE. So that's a shame. Yeah. Blackjack, you Okay, Blackjack, your thoughts. Okay. So anyway, before we go, uh, JJ, uh, your thoughts on last night's Raw? Well, actually, I know uh, we only got uh, so much time left. I would really like to get into NXT. I know there might be a few listeners who aren't familiar with NXT, but again, I said lots of people compared uh, TLC and said that it was nothing compared to the NXT show that happened uh, this past Thursday. It was a special show that showed the debut of uh, Ring of Honor's Kevin Steen, who, of course, is now being repackaged as Kevin Owens. Now, you might be wondering, well, why Owen? And apparently uh, that is the name of his Kevin Steen's son, Owen, and it was in honor of Owen Hart. He's a big Owen Hart fan, and he named his son Owen. So that will be his wrestling name in NXT in the WWE is Kevin Owens. And what a debut he had at NXT TakeOver. He took on C.J. Parker, which was, you know, a bit of a squash match, you know, let's face it. But in that match... We did see Kevin and what he's capable of. We saw him do some tremendous things for a guy his size. If you've never watched him before, the fans were going crazy. Uh, They were chanting, this is awesome. They were chanting, I think, fight or flight. They were chanting, Owen's going to kill you. I mean, they were really into this guy. He was doing some really, uh, really cool stuff, some cool moves. He did a suicide dive to C.J. Parker. He did this awesome uh, cradle suplex knee breaker and he did his infamous uh, sort of pop-up powerbomb. But uh, there was one moment in the match where C.J. Parker kind of did like a, 
a palm thrust right to Kevin's face, and I think he might have broken his nose. So in his debut at NXT, his nose was just kind of like gushing blood, which, again, something you don't really see in the WWE. And here is Kevin Steen, or Kevin Owens now, and he's got this bloody face. He's kicking the hell out of C.J. Parker, and it was just a, a really – I mean, I hope he's okay with the broken nose, but it was just what a way to debut. It was very exciting. The fans were going nuts, and uh, I definitely look forward to big things with Kevin Owens in NXT because he's, I mean, I'll get into that uh, in a few moments, but next up they had uh, the NXT Tag Team Championships. Again, uh, the Lucha Dragons, who people may not be familiar with. Uh, Sin Cara is a part of that with uh, Kalisto. Kalisto, very talented, uh, luchador, very reminiscent of Rey Mysterio, awesome high flyer, someone who you really got to see to believe. He does some really special things in that ring. He's very quick, very fast, and he's just uh, an awesome guy to watch. They took on the Vaudevillains, uh, which is Simon Gotch and Aiden English, and they sort of have this uh, sort of old-timey pro-wrestling uh, silent film sort of characters. Uh, they're, they're very entertaining. Again, this is, again, under the sports entertainment umbrella. You know, they're fun to watch. Uh, it was a really nice tag match. Uh, again, the Lucha Dragons, tremendous. Kalisto, awesome luchador. They retained the NXT tag titles. There's another matchup, uh, Ty Dillinger taking on Baron Corbin. Uh, this was, again, a squash match. They're really pushing this uh, new guy, Baron Corbin. He has this where the fans even count the seconds of his matches. They'll chant one, two, three, four, five, just because they know that within 20 seconds or so, the match will be over. So uh, that's sort of what's going on with Baron Corbin. Uh, the Ascension, the Ascension, who if you watch Monday Night Raw, if you watch SmackDown, there's lots of promos for them that they'll be making their debut soon. Uh, the Ascension lost to Hideo Itami, better known as Kenta, and Finn Bauer, who a lot of people know as Prince. Prince Devitt was the talk of the town at this NXT show. You just had to see it. Uh, he is very known for his face paint and his body paint and dressing up as characters you know, Spider-Man, the Joker, you know, horror villains. And he came in dressed up sort of similar to a, a uh, Spider-Man character named, known as Venom, where he was kind of black, uh, black paint on his face and on his chest. And it had these sort of long, uh, long teeth on his throat. And it was just unbelievable. They already, I think, put some T-shirts out for the guy, and it sold out. So, uh, Finn Balor, definitely someone to look out for, a very unusual uh, guy who, just his entrance alone, I would compare it to something like uh, a Bray Wyatt or The Undertaker. His entrance is so captivating. He really gets, again, the sports entertainment aspect of it, and it just feels like this big uh, you know, choreography where he's really listening to his music and he's doing these big uh, movements, and it's just something you have to see to believe. Plus, the guy's a hell of a great wrestler. You can watch him wrestle and do some phenomenal things with Kenta. Again, Kenta, who's known as Hideo Itami. It was a really great tag match that really showed Kenta and Finn Balor. Uh, fun match. Balor and Itami got the win. Sasha Banks and Charlotte for the Women's Championship. What a tremendous match. You know, I talked about AJ Lee and Nikki having a, you know, okay match. Sasha Banks, Charlotte hit a home run, had a tremendous women's match. 
Uh, Charlotte retained the women's title, but what a great match it was. The fans were even chanting, this is wrestling. They just loved it. And then the main event was Sami Zayn versus Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship. This match, again, stole the show, the main event. Everyone's been rooting for Sami Zayn. He has a very Daniel Bryan story where everyone's rooting for him. They want to see him win the big one. He hasn't been uh, NXT champion yet. He's been in NXT for over a year now. Never won the big one. Now Sami Zayn has won the big one. He beat Adrian Neville for the NXT title. The whole NXT locker room came out, celebrated with him, including uh, Kevin Owens. Again, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who used to be known as El Generico, they traveled up and down, you know, the world, wrestling each other and wrestling uh, anywhere they could together. So it was a very nice, touching moment to see them together and raising uh, Kevin Owens raising Sami Zayn's hands up in the air with the title. And then as everyone was exiting the ring, uh, Kevin Owens turned on Sami Zayn and just power-bombed him on the ring apron, leaving him lame. So that right away tells you Kevin Owens, his debut in the company in NXT, and his first big target is the NXT champion, Sami Zayn, the new champion, Sami Zayn. So NXT, what an exciting, fun-filled show, great wrestling, great entertainment. Everyone was saying there's no doubt about it. NXT TakeOver was head and shoulders better than WWE TLC. And a lot of people are saying that these developmental guys are upstanding the main roster guys. And it's hard to say because everything here is fresh. You're talking Kenta, who we're not used to seeing in the WWE. Finn Balor, who we're not used to seeing in the WWE. Kevin Owens, who we're not used to seeing. Fresh talent making their names, doing Big and exciting things. Great wrestling by the girls, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, Ric Flair's daughter. I mean, this is really what I wish we would see on Monday Night Raw, what I wish we would see on WWE pay-per-views. I don't know why we're not seeing that same excitement. Maybe because we've seen John Cena, Randy Orton for the past 10 years, and we've gotten tired of them. But NXT is definitely exciting. It's fun, and you got to check it out every Thursday on the WWE Network. No question about it. And uh, with that, we will see you next week. Uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit about the year in review. Uh, maybe we'll pick out some five moments uh, that we'll look back on. So, now uh, a final show of the year. All right, JJ, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, King, and uh, thanks to Blackjack. Always cool to hear from him uh, a little bit before we lost him, but uh, have a great uh, week, King and everybody. Yes, we will see you next week. We will also see you Thursday for the best of 14. And uh, take care, everybody, and uh, thanks for listening to King Jordan Radio, and thanks for the help of uh, our wrestling insider, Double J. Good night, everybody. <laughs>